Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Laymiller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. If you live in the Northern Hemisphere like I do, then you probably know that we're in the midst of peak vacation season. My social media feed is full of posts from friends who are traveling. And if you follow me, then you may know that I've been traveling too. In fact, I just returned from a three-week trip around Europe, which was a lot of fun. The trip was part business and part pleasure. The business part was to attend the International Academy of Sex Research Conference in Reykjavik, Iceland. So let me tell you a little bit about that before we get into the main topic of the day. If you're a longtime listener of the show, then you may know that I've been looking forward to this Iceland trip for a long time, in part because the world's only penis museum is in Iceland. It's called the Icelandic Phallological Museum, and we had a social event there as part of our conference. It's a fascinating and kind of strange place. The origin of the museum is interesting in and of itself because the founder of the museum had some friends and colleagues who, for whatever reason, used to give him animal penises as kind of a joke because they worked in hunting industries and apparently had leftover animal dicks. So this guy never set out to be a penis collector. The penises just happened to find their way to him. Now, eventually, his collection got large enough that he decided to open up a whole museum. And today, it houses more than 200 penises belonging to more than 40 different mammals of both land and sea. These include penises from whales, seals, polar bears, and much more. If you thought human penises came in all shapes and sizes, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because animal penises are so highly variable and diverse in terms of their appearance. One of the interesting things about animal penises is that many of them actually have bones inside of them. So they have literal boners. And this bone is known as a baculum. And fun fact, in male animals with penis bones, their female counterparts actually have a bone in the clitoris. So yep, there are literal clitoral boners out there as well. Now, the human penis and human clitoris, of course, do not contain any bones, at least not today. It's thought that long ago, our ancestors had them and that human penis bones were lost in the process of evolution. And there are a lot of different theories out there for this. I don't know how many of them I buy, but one of the more interesting ones I've heard is that the human penis bone disappeared because a boneless penis is more flexible thereby facilitating a wider range of sexual positions and activities. And those who argue for this perspective say that this was ultimately about increasing sexual pleasure for females. And there's a whole book out there about this idea that's called The Domesticated Penis, How Womanhood Has Shaped Manhood. I haven't read this book and therefore can't vouch for it, but it certainly sounds interesting. Another theory I've heard proposed is that penis bones allow for much longer periods of copulation, right? Because if you think about the human penis with the cavernous bodies that fill with blood, it's kind of hard to maintain that erection for a really long period of time. So with a penis bone, you can maintain an erection for much longer. So in animals that have limited mating seasons, being able to have longer sexual stamina might increase their odds of successful reproduction. 
But in humans who don't have a mating season, having that prolonged period of copulation isn't necessary for reproduction. Further, in humans, there's what we call concealed ovulation, which means you can't tell when females are most fertile. So it's more adaptive for there to be frequent copulation instead of infrequent but prolonged copulation. Again, I don't know if any of these theories are true or not, but that's what I can tell you about some of the schools of thought on why humans don't have penis bones. But anyway, if you walk around the penis museum, you're going to see penis bones from all kinds of animals, ranging from the teeny tiny chipmunk boner to the walrus boner, which is actually so big that native Alaskans used to use walrus penis bones as war clubs. So that's how big they are. So if you're ever in Iceland, plan your trip to the penis museum where you can see penis bones and actual full penis specimens from all across the animal kingdom, including the killer whale penis, which it turns out is actually almost as tall as me. So it's pretty large, and maybe that helps to explain why the ocean is so salty. Now, at this museum, you can also order one of several penis-themed beers, including the Moby Dick Pale Whale, so you can enjoy a penis beer while you learn about penis diversity. Now, in the spirit of museum equality, I hope someone out there starts the Clitoris and Vulva Museum at some point, because there's also a lot of variability in vulva and clitoral appearance throughout the animal kingdom. Fun fact, in the female spotted hyena, the clitoris is actually eight inches long, and this actually makes male and female hyenas virtually indistinguishable in terms of their appearance. But anyway, that's enough about animal genitals for today. And I should also say the Icelandic Penis Museum is not the only reason to visit Iceland. It is a beautiful country full of so many natural, wonderful things to see from volcanoes to glaciers to waterfalls and geysers. You definitely want to check it out and put it on your bucket list. So let's get to the main topic for today. And this gets back to what I was talking about at the beginning of the show, which is how we're in peak vacation season right now. So it turns out that going on trips actually tends to make people hornier than usual. So we're going to talk about why that is. Why does travel make us horny? We're going to explore the psychology behind this so that if you ever find yourself feeling extra aroused on a trip, you'll understand why. Stick around and we're going to jump into that discussion right after the break. Take self-pleasure to the next level with The Handy. Designed by Norwegian company SweetTech, the Handy is a motorized stroker that is compatible with a wide range of sleeves that mimic the sensations of different sexual activities. Try it with solo play or allow a partner to control it remotely via Wi-Fi from anywhere in the world. The Handy allows you to stay intimately connected with the partner even when you can't physically be together. The Handy offers up to 10 strokes per second at top speed, it can be synced with video, and the device is customizable to your body and needs. To get your hands on the Handy, Find the link in the show notes or visit thehandy.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code SEXANDPSYCH to get 10% off your purchase. Again, that's thehandy.com. Enhance your sexual performance with FirmTech. Check out their tech ring, which is designed to give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also tracking your erectile fitness. Wear it at night to monitor nocturnal erections and cardiovascular health or wear it during lovemaking for a boost in the bedroom. Unlike other erection rings, Firmtex is easy to put on, adjustable to your comfort, and it can go on whether you're hard or soft. 
To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. I recently had a friend tell me that he was chatting with some of his friends and everyone talked about having a similar experience. Basically, whenever they were away on a trip, they noticed feeling much hornier than they usually do at home. Now, I've personally noticed that the same thing happens to me, so this got me wondering why. So, let's talk about it. But before we do, you might be wondering, how common is this experience? How many people tend to feel hornier when they travel? Well, unfortunately, this is kind of a difficult question to answer scientifically, because I don't know of any studies that have really looked at this question comprehensively. I mean, certainly there's a fair amount of research out there on sex and travel, but most of what I've seen has focused on one of two things. So on the one hand, you have research on college students who have sex on spring break, and it turns out a lot of them do. And the other area where there's research on sex and travel is in this area called sex tourism, which is when people travel somewhere else in order to pay for sex. And if you look at the results of these studies, what they suggest is that people often let loose sexually when they travel. And sometimes they do things that they might not normally do at home. So this suggests that traveling can indeed change our sexual psychology in some ways. But it might also just be the case that some people plan to explore their sexuality when they travel. Now, the closest data I can point to on how common it is for people to associate sex with travel comes from my own research on sexual fantasies. In the survey of 4,175 Americans' sexual fantasies that I conducted for my book, Tell Me What You Want, I found that most people reported having had fantasies that took place outside of their home environment. So just to give you a couple of examples of things that I found, I discovered that 83% of my participants had fantasized about having sex in some type of exotic setting. So one of the most common exotic settings people mentioned was having sex on a beach or under a waterfall, perhaps in Iceland. 85% of my participants had fantasized about having sex in nature. So in the wilderness, in the woods, somewhere, was one of the most common settings they mentioned. 90% had fantasized about having sex in a hotel. Also, 77% had fantasized about having sex in a car or some other type of motor vehicle, including some people who talked about having sex on a motorcycle. And hopefully it was a parked motorcycle and not one that was in motion because that sounds a little bit dangerous. I also found that just over half of my participants, 53%, had fantasized about sex on an airplane. So joining the Mile High Club. Now, these numbers suggest that transportation, travel, and vacation are common things that people associate with sex. So this might help to explain, at least in part, this travel horniness phenomenon. So what I mean by this is that if you tend to have fantasies about sex and travel, and then you find yourself surrounded by travel cues, that might very well bring your sexual fantasies to mind. So for example, if you often fantasize about having sex on an airplane, and then you get on a plane to go on a trip somewhere, that might bring to mind your mile-high club fantasy and start making you horny. Likewise, if you tend to fantasize about sex in a hotel frequently, and then you open the door to your nice hotel room with a great view of the ocean, for example, that might also bring to mind those fantasies that you have. 
So part of what's going on here is just these psychological associations that we have between sex and travel. But that's probably not the only thing that's going on here. So when we travel, we tend to break our regular routines. And this can create more opportunities to become aroused. So when you travel, you don't have the rigid schedule that you do at home, where perhaps you wake up, you go to work or some appointments, and then you come home at the end of the day exhausted, and you've got all these things to do around the house and so forth. With travel, and with vacations in particular, you get to choose your own adventure, right? You don't have that set, strict schedule every day when you get up. And that just opens the door to more sexual opportunities. Now, at the same time, being in a novel environment can produce a heightened state of generalized arousal. And that arousal, in turn, can potentially increase sexual arousal. So if you happen to be doing lots of active and exciting things on your trip, that can amplify sexual arousal. And there's a lot of research in social psychology to support this idea. So, for example, when people do very active and exciting things like riding a roller coaster or going rock climbing or skydiving or just doing something that is very active and exciting, that tends to get your heart rate up. You start breathing faster, right? So you have this higher state of just generalized arousal. And then you experience what is known as excitation transfer, where that generalized arousal can then amplify sexual arousal in a subsequent situation, or that arousal can be misattributed as sexual in nature. So sometimes strong emotions, strong arousal can be mistaken for sexual arousal. So one example of this would be if you look at the classic Shaky Bridge study conducted in the 1970s. Basically, what they did in that study was they had attractive female research assistants who stopped and interviewed men who happened to be walking across this very high and shaky suspension bridge, right? So being up there is going to put you in this heightened state of arousal. They also interviewed men who were walking across a bridge that was much lower and closer to the ground and that wasn't going to cause any of that kind of excitement, right? And what they found was that for the men who were walking across this high and shaky suspension bridge, who were presumably in this heightened state of arousal, when they were interviewed, they tended to include more sexual imagery in the stories that they were asked to create. And then at the end of the study, when the research assistant gave these men her phone number and said, you can call me later if you have any questions about the study, the men who were walking across that really high and shaky suspension bridge were much more likely to call the assistant later, presumably for a date, than the men who were walking across the bridge that was much lower and closer to the ground. We've seen this in a lot of other studies too, where if you survey people who have just ridden a roller coaster versus people who are standing in line waiting to ride a roller coaster, the people who have just ridden the roller coaster and who are in that state of excitement, that heightened arousal, they tend to demonstrate more sexual attraction to a stranger that they just met. Now, beyond the novelty of the travel environment itself, there are also all the new people that you're seeing and meeting. And you may very well see lots of attractive people that you've never seen before. And that, in and of itself, can prompt more sexual interest and arousal. When you go out at home and you go to the same bars or clubs or other social settings that you tend to go to, you're likely to see a lot of the same people every time you go out. But when you're on vacation, you're going to be exposed to this whole new group of people. So you have all of these new sources of potential sexual excitement. Plus, if you're traveling for vacation, you just might be in a totally different and more relaxed mindset than usual because you're away from work for a while. 
And that can open the door to feeling more aroused because you've temporarily escaped this very potent source of stress. And on a side note, that might help to explain why I don't tend to experience this travel horniness effect when I'm away for a business trip because I'm still in work mode, right? But when I'm on a leisure trip, that's a different story. Now, related to this, you may have cues at home that either induce stress or inhibit arousal, such as having all of your work stuff in the bedroom or reminders of things that you need to do around the house, such as piles of laundry. And when you're traveling, all of those cues disappear because you're in this neat and tidy hotel room or Airbnb where those cues just don't exist. So for this reason, I often suggest that if you have the ability at home to not keep your work stuff in your bedroom, that might be a good idea in terms of creating more opportunities to experience sexual desire and sexual arousal. Now, of course, we shouldn't neglect the fact that people often consume more alcohol on vacations, especially on things like spring break trips. We all know that alcohol can cause disinhibition, and it can have this aphrodisiac-like effect particularly when it's consumed in small to moderate doses. And if you look at the research on spring break travelers, there's a huge effect of alcohol. A large number of college students who are on spring break report drinking before hooking up. So that's certainly part of the story. But it's not just alcohol. A lot of people use other substances on vacation. Maybe you're traveling to a place where marijuana is legal. For many people, marijuana is an aphrodisiac. Now, of course, there's a lot of individual variability in terms of how substances affect people. And for some people, different substances might have very different effects on them. But for many, alcohol, marijuana can be aphrodisiacs. Now, there's also the fact that traveling somewhere else can provide a sense of psychological freedom in the sense that nobody else there knows who you are. So in this way, travel affords a unique opportunity to be someone new temporarily. It allows you a chance to explore a different side of yourself or to recreate yourself in this new environment. So travel can also provide some sense of freedom from judgment. What happens on your trip can stay on your trip and nobody at home, your friends, your family, your roommates has to know. So as the popular saying goes, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas or wherever it is that you're traveling. Now that sense of anonymity and freedom from judgment is probably part of the reason why people often take more sexual risks when they travel. And again, alcohol might be playing a role in that as well. Now, there are a couple of other factors that are probably important too. One of them is who you're traveling with. So in the spring break research on college students, traveling with friends is strongly associated with hooking up. So for some people, this might be because they're traveling with friends who simply like to let loose and get a little bit wild. But for others, it might be about showing off to their friends. Traveling with a romantic partner might also increase the odds of sex, but it's going to depend on the relationship circumstances. So if you're in the early phases of passion, and this is your first trip together with your partner, that's going to create lots of opportunities for fun. But if you're traveling with a partner with whom you have, say, a lot of conflict in your relationship, and that conflict follows you on the trip, then sex probably isn't going to happen so much. So travel with a partner can kind of go either direction, depending on the situation, because you're bringing part of your home with you in that case. And lastly, one other thing that might be playing a role in this travel horniness effect, especially during the summer months, is exposure to sunlight. 
Research has found that exposure to UVB light under controlled conditions is linked to changes in hormones and sexual behavior in animals and humans alike. So in studies of rodents, researchers have found that exposing mice to UVB light has significant effects on their bodies and their behavior. Female mice spend more time in heat, so they have more what we call estrus days, and this corresponds with a rise in hormones that govern their reproductive cycle. And further, male rodents experience an increase in plasma testosterone, and across sexes, you see more mating behavior occurring. In this work, researchers also genetically modified a group of mice to remove a skin protein that responds to sunlight and leads to skin pigmentation. So for these mice, exposure to UVB didn't lead to the same changes in hormones and sexual behavior that were previously observed. So in other words, when the mice's bodies were no longer registering sunlight exposure in the same way, that effect disappeared. The researchers also looked to see, well, does something similar happen in humans, right? So understanding that this happens in rodents is one thing, but do we see similar effects in humans? So in one of the studies they ran, male and female participants were asked to avoid sunlight for two days and then spend 25 minutes in the sun. They compared blood samples from a day without sunlight exposure to post-sunlight exposure. And what the researchers found was a rise in testosterone, as well as several other sex hormones in both men and women alike, after they had been exposed to sunlight. The researchers also looked at data from patients who were undergoing phototherapy, who were first asked to fill out a scale measuring their feelings of passionate love, both prior to their first UVB treatment and again after having 10 to 12 treatments. What they found was that for men and women alike, feelings of passionate love increased following that photo light treatment. They also analyzed existing medical data from thousands of men who had had their hormone levels tested throughout the year, and this revealed a rise in testosterone during the summer months. Specifically, you see a peak in those July to August months compared to the rest of the year, and those are also the months when you have the most sunlight exposure. So what all of these findings suggest is that exposure to sunlight appears to affect hormone production and sexual interest in behavior. And this just might be mediated through proteins on the skin that respond to sunlight. So specifically, the proteins that exist to protect our skin and that give us that nice sundan, they also trigger changes in our sexuality. At least, that's how the theory goes. So when you put all of this together, you can see that there are many potential reasons why travel might make it easier to both become and stay sexually aroused, or to feel more intensely aroused than usual. But we're probably talking about a biopsychosocial phenomenon here. So on the biological side, you might have changes in hormones due to sunlight exposure. On the psychological side, there's that reduction in stress and those feelings of freedom. And then on the social side, is that whole new and novel environment that we're exploring. So if you find yourself feeling hornier than usual the next time you travel, you're definitely not alone. And now you know why. Thank you for listening. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. <laughs>